Birds Alliance. Welcome to the Aerodynamics Podcast. Today, I'll be talking about why birds are liars. You see, they say that they can produce lift, and they've been saying this for millions of years. Yet, when you look at the difference between how we produce lift in our airplanes and how they produce lift, it's completely different. We produce lift by having a stationary wing and lift generates over it. But no, birds don't do it this way. They've been lying to us. They flap their wings to produce lift. And you might be thinking to yourself, why would they be lying? What do they have to gain? Let me read you some passages from a paper called Aerodynamics of Bird Flight by Rudolf Tvordak. Link in the description, by the way. It says, it is quite interesting that during the 20th century, people scarcely ever sought inspiration in the animal world. Rather, they used the most sophisticated instrumentation available mainly towards the end of the century to realize that what they've achieved, birds have possessed for millions of years. Aha, birds have been keeping this a secret for us for millions of years. That's why they don't want us to know. It goes on though. It has become clear that if these vehicles, MAVs, should be able to carry a reasonable weight load, they would have to have either rotating or moving wings. Aha, another reason why birds have been lying to us. They're keeping this from us, this technology, so that we can't build MAVs and rival them. And to fly, birds must have wings. Unlike airplanes, they must have moving wings, i.e. they must have either flapping or in one exceptional case, the hummingbird, even oscillating wings. Only such wings can produce both lift and thrust. So their wings can produce both lift and thrust at the same time, whereas our airplane wings can only produce lift. Yet another reason why they want to lie to us. Liars, and I'm busting them open right now. So how do their wings work? The basic structure of a bird's wing resembles the human hand, only proportions of the bones are different. And this paper is a really juicy paper, it's really good. I, I was actually um, <laughs> at the conference that this paper was presented at, and I met Professor Vordak as well. And this figure here shows the exact geometry of a, of a wing. And it consists of two main types, primaries and secondary feathers. The primaries are connected to the bird's fingers. Primaries are the longest and narrowest of the outer feathers, and they can be individually rotated. These feathers are the main source of thrust, mostly generated on the downstroke or flapping flight. On the upstroke, the primaries are separated and rotated, reducing air resistance while still helping to provide some thrust. So they, on the downstroke, they all lock together and they come down. Then on the upstroke, they separate and they rotate so that they uh, have less surface area and then they have less drag coming up or less uh, opposite force coming up and less drag, I guess, in certain sets. The secondaries are connected to the, to the ulna. They remain close together in flight. They cannot be individually separated like the primaries and help to provide lift by creating the airfoil shape of the bird's wing. Secondaries are usually shorter and broader than primaries. And then there's also this other part called the alula. And I've actually seen this a lot on chicken wings. I, I eat chicken wings pretty often. And I always see these, these little bits jutting out from the wings. And I always thought that they were just abnormal growths from how the chicken, chickens are, are farmed and raised. But no, they're actually part of the wings. <laughs> and the alula feathers are not flight feathers in a strict sense. However, they are very useful in slow flight. Attached to the bird's thumb, they lie normally flush against the leading edge of the wing and attach only at high angles of attack creating a gap between the alula and the rest of the wing. Compare with slats on airplane wings. So on airplane wings, when you want to generate very high lift, 
you often need to have another flap just in front of the wing so you can camber this down effectively, create a much bigger wing with more camber. And then there's air going in between the two, which then re-energizes the flow going over the second part of the wing and keeps the flow attached. You usually need to do this when you're trying to extract so much work out of uh, the flow. Now, on the downstroke, on the downstroke, I was still saying, the veins of each feather have hooklets that lock the feathers together, giving thus the wing, if locked, the necessary strength to withstand the lift and to maintain its shape. Now, this is so amazing. And this is why I can imagine why birds, including pigeons, have been trying to keep their technology from us. The primaries, these feathers form the tip slots, which can be considerably, which can considerably reduce the induced drag by acting as winglets i.e. by making wings effectively non-planar and eliminating thus the intensity of the tip vortex by spreading the vortex vertically. So yet another piece of technology on these wings. So these primaries, they can feather them so they stick them out at different angles and that way they're not one surface and they don't create a very strong tip vortex. That then reduces the induced drag. Now, how can birds have snuck this by us for so many millions of years? Well, these abilities, flight, are supported by a very short reaction time, which is almost by one order lower than in humans. Aha! Birds are smarter than humans. Their reaction times are 0.02 seconds approximately. Humans are 0.2. That's how they've been able to slide this past us all these years. But not anymore. Now it's out in the open. The downstroke is often called the power stroke, as it's as it provides the majority of lift and thrust while the upstroke is a recovery stroke. Now, how does the wing upstroke? This has been a phenomenon that has plagued uh, aerodynamics for millennia. Oh, maybe, I guess so, millennia, yeah. I'll go with that. <laughs> During the upstroke, the outer part of the wing must return with as minimum drag as possible, usually with a zero angle attack. So this, these primaries and primary coverts. The bird partially folds its wings, reducing thus the wingspan. So by bringing them in a little bit, as the area that you sweep up is smaller than the area that, area that you sweep down on the downstroke because the wing is extended out a bit more. As a rule, the primaries open, allowing passage of air through them, reducing further the drag, as we were saying. There is little up and down movement. The inner part of the wing, sorry, behaves in a different way. There is little up and down movement so that this part of the wing continues to provide lift and functions more or less as a fixed wing. So this section here doesn't actually move too much up and down. It's more the outer part that actually flexes up and down. So the, even though the bird is flapping, a lot of the wing is still producing lift and it can still continue to glide to some extent. Birds can very efficiently change the wing area. This is typically typical, namely of seabirds, who can almost instantly switch from a cruising flight with fully extended wings to a dive with wings close to the body. Even when descending for landing, the area of the wing is decreased by raising the inner part of the wing upwards. This at the same time increases the bird's stability. Now, the reason why the stability increases is because when you put a wing up, so both wings up, it sort of acts like a pendulum. And you, this is called dihedral, which we use on airplanes as well. So we have got something right, um, but birds have, given us to slip every time since. Now also along with this dihedral, um, often what happens if you design the plane properly, when the, you 
where it rolled to one side, the wing that is more parallel to the ground produces more lift. So then it creates this reaction force pushing you back up. So then you have a stabilizing effect. And you can see this on pigeons. Like if you look at pigeons anytime you're out and you see them flying and usually gliding down, they usually go in this dihedral motion where the wings are very uh, far up and this is a V shape. Slotted wings, slotted wing tips are typical of birds that soar over land. And this is where we get into, there are two main different types of birds, ones that go over land and ones that are seabirds. Birds that soar over the sea, like gulls and albatrosses, usually have longer and narrower wings with pointed tips to reduce the induced drag. So by having a much longer wing, you have a higher aspect ratio. This is something that we know with airplanes as well. When you have a higher aspect ratio, the induced drag typically drops as well. Slotted tips enable shorter wings that than the narrow pointed wings without tip slots. Shorter wings have a lighter than the narrow wings with pointed tips, producing the same amount of lift because they have lower root bending moment. They are also more maneuverable. They can roll and yaw at higher angular velocities for a given tip speed. Why is that? Because mainly you have a sec lower second moment, moment of inertia, which means that you need less moment to be able to roll and or pitch or whatever you're doing. All that is advantageous for birds flying in a constrained environment like forests and soaring in unpredictably changing gusts over land. Seabirds are adapted to different living conditions. This is the second type of bird. They operate at higher average speeds and slotted tips may become a liability at these speeds, increasing profile drag more than re reducing induced drag. And not only do birds have wings, they have tails. I don't know if you've managed to uncover this little dirty secret of theirs. The tail is an integral part of the bird's lifting system. Unlike the tail of an aircraft, it is very close to the trailing edge of the wing and helps to make the wing morphology more versatile. It has a variable area and a variable aspect ratio. It maintains stability and balance, especially in slow flight, where the tail is widely spread to enhance the flow over the wing in a similar way as an extended slotted flap from the trailing edge of an aircraft. Now, not only do they have these tails and regular wings, they also have the underwing coverts. These underwing coverts open automatically along the leading edge at high angles of attack. They operate as an automatic high lift device analogous to a Kruger flap, increasing the wing's effective camber. Now, this is a picture here that I have, but I, couldn't, I can sort of see it there a little bit, but the next picture that I'm going to show you here, they're very, they're quite obvious just around there and here. So how Kruger flap works and these work is very similar again, how I mentioned before, where you have two wings effectively and they both produce lift. And then between the first and the second wing, you have air coming in to re-energize the flow over the second wing, because if you are trying to work the flow so much, it's going to usually stall and you're going to lose lift. So during landing, this picture here shows how birds land. During landing, the landing maneuver, the tail is widely spread. So you can see here, extending thus the wing surface and its camera to generate maximum lift as possible. Close before perching, the tail moves up, pushing the birds upwards or even partially backwards to the position where the wings stall and the bird slowly perches down. To enhance braking immediately before perching, the bird may use a few wing beats with wings fully extended and set against the flow direction. 
the tail again lowered down to increase the lift. So <laughs> this is a lot of information about how birds fly, but they're just so complex and there's even more. I'm gonna go into another bit here, which is now going into separation patterns. So we know how birds fly, they have two separate parts of their wing and how they flap up and down and how each part of those wings, they move during these motions and how they produce lift and thrust. And we even know that they have Kruger-like flaps and, and um, little alluvas um, to prevent stall. There's also another thing that they have. So separation starts near the trailing edge, but very quickly moves upstream to the low pressure peaks at the wing crest or near the near to the leading edge, which is quite common among airfoils. We're, we're not that surprised by that. Many airfoils have a similar sort of stall pattern. However, this reverse flow can be slowed down or even eliminated by self-activated flaps. Spanwise fences on the wing upper surface formed by covert feathers raising up automatically when necessary. So these are barriers that effectively stop the separation going more forward. So <laughs> that's really amazing. I'd, we don't really use them in airplanes very much. Traditionally, tip vortices are considered as a nuisance in increasing the drag. However, in low aspect ratio wings, they can favorably enhance the lift. The downward velocity behind the flyer, so this figure here, shows one flyer, let's say, and you have these tip vortices rotating. You can see there's downward velocity, this vorticity, these vortices induce flow and they, it goes down. But on the other side, there's actually flow going up. It induces flow going up. The, and this upward velocity flow outside of the weight and in a V flight formation of migrating birds, this can be used by the follower's wing as an energy saving contribution to generated lift. In addition to this, the increased downwash is also beneficial at near to ground flight, ground effects skimming over the water surface, for example. This gives the bird considerable performance advantages, including a reduction in mechanical flight power as much as 35%. So ground effect, we, we are fairly aware of, uh, air pilots and that when you try to land a plane, they often find that there is so much more lift being generated that it becomes quite difficult to land the plane. And um, some planes are almost nearly impossible to land. So they even have to go into this stall pattern just to get down. So with the only exception of a hummingbird, birds generate lift and thrust by flapping the wings. This is a complex, unsteady and three-dimensional motion of the wings, changing at every instant with the new position of the wings. The aerodynamic analysis of bird flight was usually based on the quasi-steady assumption. So this is, again, birds were lying to us by saying that their wings don't flap, but they do. And we thought that this means that they had quasi-static um, motions. So there's not really this transient or dynamic fashion to the flow. According to, which, according to this quasi-steady assumption, all instantaneous forces on a flapping wing in unsteady motion are assumed to be those corresponding to steady motion at the same instantaneous velocity and altitude, and attitude, sorry, so the, the way that it's um, pitched or maneuvered. This assumption may be misleading. See, I told you birds were misleading, as is definitely the case when dealing with insect flight. Ah, oh, insects are even in, in on the lie. 
I can't believe I've been lied to all this time by so many of these animals that I thought were my friends. And it's recommended to even consider even the aerodynamics of the bird flight as unsteady. Aha, the truth comes out. The many facets of bird wing shapes and movements make a unifying theory on how lift is generated a difficult task. The only fact we can take for granted is that the mechanism of lift generation is ruled by vortices. The vortices drive in the surrounding air and impart downward momentum in this air. The way how they do it depends on the wing shape, flapping velocity, as well as on the flight velocity. We will discuss here three possible models, high aspect ratio wings in cruising flight, high aspect ratio wings in more energetic flight, and low aspect ratio wings. During the downstroke phase of high aspect ratio wings, typically two counter-rotating vortices are generated on the leading edge and on the trailing edge. So I'll show you the picture here, like, like so. Both being shed with the stream. This vortex couple drives the air down, generating thus lift in the opposite direction. On low-aspect ratio wings, the tip vortices on either wings dominate, forming again a couple to generate lift. Now, there's one paragraph here that, this one here, that I think is salient not just to bird flight, but really every aerodynamicist, because it contains so much information so succinctly and really describes the situation incredibly well. And this paragraph reads, wake is a kind of footprint with which any flying body leaves behind in the surrounding atmosphere. And that's exactly true. It's a footprint. So anything that happens in the flow is going to be imprinted on the wake downstream and there are some remnants of it. It represents not only the loss of momentum comprising most of the losses generated by the flying body, but its structure also tells a lot about the behavior of the body during the flight, especially when the body contours are changing. So again, represents the loss of momentum. If you can analyze the wake, you can figure out what's going on with momentum. And this is why we wake survey. So there's also another mechanism that they can use to generate lift. And it's this here. Now this is uh, akin to a few, other a few other situations in aerodynamics. So by increasing the frequency of the um, wing fluttering, so how much they oscillated, the frequency of the vortices in the wake, so if you have a lifting surface with a blunt trailing edge, you'll get a von Kármán streak. And this one is when there is no, um, it's a classical von Kármán streak, so when there's no oscillation. Then when you mildly oscillate the air force, or the airfoil, the vortices are changed like so. And then when you oscillate even more, they transition to something like this, and they actually produce thrust. So by increasing the frequency of the vortices and the weight gradually acquire opposite sense of rotation. The weight becomes inverted, like so, and the wing produces thrust. This effect has been known since Canola and Betts perceived that flapping a wing in a free stream flow resulted in an effective angle of attack with a normal force vector containing both lift and thrust components. So I don't know who Canola is, but Betts, if you don't know about him, he was like one of the original Macs of aerodynamics. Like he was around back when Prandtl was around, even before von Kármán. And he did so much fundamental aerodynamics that he really contributed a lot to the field. One example is uh, for wind turbines and turbines in general, there's something called the Betts limit or the Betts theorem. And what he figured out um, theoretically was what is the maximum amount of energy 
you can extract from a flow going through a turbine. So a flow going through has a kinetic energy and the goal of the turbine is to extract that, some of that kinetic energy as much as possible, for example, wind turbines. And what he calculated was the maximum possible amount of kinetic energy you can extract from a flow, any flow, is 59.3%. And it may seem not very obvious to begin with why it's so, why it isn't 100%, but the reason why is because you have to look at how a turbine works. So a turbine spins with the flow coming in and it extracts the energy. Now, in order for a turbine to work, the flow has to go through it. And if you take all the kinetic energy out of the flow, it means that you're reducing the velocity of this flow to zero because there's no kinetic energy. So if the flow reduces to zero, it can't go through the turbine. It has to stop in the turbine, so the turbine ceases to function. And Betts, through his theory, found that the maximum limit of the kinetic energy you can extract while still having the flow going through and operating in a turbine fashion is 59.3%. If you haven't read it up on Betts, I highly recommend it because he was really good at aerodynamics. So, this going back to this oscillation uh, technique here, the effect of the inverted on Kalman Street is used by slowly soaring birds to, for occasional increase in lift. They slowly flap the wings up and down and generate thus the necessary lift. So in other words, it's just another way that they can produce lift quite uh, easily. It has also been proven that wake depends not only on the species in question, but in the same species, it depends on also the particular gait. So the purpose of flight. So if they're flying at a different way, for example, gliding compared to powered flight, the way that they operate their wings will change. And that's why there are so many different mechanisms for so many different uh, birds going on. And in addition to this paper, it goes through a lot of different um, experiments and measurements. So for example, we have these isosurfaces of behind this bird flying. It is a really good paper. I really enjoyed it. So that brings us to the end of why birds have been lying to us. We thought that they were just flying the way we were. In fact, back in the, it was a magnificent century back in the 1900s. It was a magnificent century of hectic research and development of new aircrafts. And at its end, people proudly and immodestly claimed that in flight abilities, their airplanes had reached almost a bird-like perfection. And that's what the birds wanted us to think. But it's not the case. We're still far behind birds in terms of aerodynamics. And this is why they have such a complex flow and how they move their wings that they generate lifts in very different ways. They have different parts of their wings, the inner and the outer. And we do have inner and outer wings. You know, you have the ailerons at the outside, which are used for control, and the wing flaps more inboard. But that's not the same as wing as birds. They have the wing, the feathers at the outside move, uh, moving to produce thrust, and then the ones on the inside moving mainly produce lift or even not moving very much, they may remain stationary. So it's a very complex um, flow pattern here and flight technique. So that's the end of this podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe. Tell me what you think about being deceived by birds all this time. Check out our courses that we run. So we run CFD courses, aerodynamics courses, and theory courses to make you better at aerodynamics. And a big announcement, we've just opened up the registration for our annual conference, International Aerodynamics Conference. You can find the link in the description. Hope to see you there and peace out.